asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking effective altruism and giving well with Ellie Hassenfeld. So here on the pod, and honestly in our personal lives as well, we are always looking for the most bang for a buck. And I'm sure you do the same thing, right? Like when you're looking at toilet paper at the grocery store, you are, you're likely glancing over at the cost per unit. Uh, when you're trying to decide between two job offers, you're considering, of, of course, pay, but you're also taking into account if they have a 401k with a match, we are constantly optimizing our lives in order to gain the most value. But are we doing the same thing with the money that we're giving away to charity? Maybe we are, but maybe we're not. That's why we're excited to discuss effective altruism with our guest, Ellie Hassenfeld, today. It's not something we've discussed before. Ellie is the co-founder of GiveWell. It is a nonprofit that searches for charities that saves or improves the most lives possible per dollar. Ellie, thank you so much for, for joining us today to talk about effective altruism and what it is that y'all do. Thanks, guys. It's awesome to be here. Ellie, we're, we're really excited for this conversation. And the first question that we ask anybody who comes on is, what do you like to splurge on? Matt and I, we splurge on craft beer. We buy the good stuff. Uh, but we're still, at the same time, saving and investing for our future. What's that for you? You're handling money wisely, but you're also spending a ridiculous amount maybe in one specific area. Yeah, so the thing I'm splurging on right now is indoor ski lessons. And let me just explain. That sounds great. Let me just explain what that is. Do you have to go to Dubai for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you go to downtown San Francisco and you go on a giant inclined treadmill, which you can learn to ski on. And, and the reason I'll, I'll tell the backstory, which is my wife grew up, she's a big skier. She always wanted me to ski, never learned how to ski. A year ago, we went skiing. I finally learned. We, we skied together. And by learned, I mean I'm able to get down the mountain now without dying. I'm not <laughs> athletic. So it, it took a lot of work for me to get there. I came back from that trip and my friend said, you know how to ski? Let's, let's you know take a trip together. And we went 
up to Lake Tahoe, which is near where I live in the Bay Area. And on the second day, I fell, broke my shoulder, separated my shoulder. I wasn't doing anything cool. I just literally am uh, imbalanced and unathletic. And so as I'm thinking about the winter coming up, I was like, how can I, how can I do this and not kill myself? And so I found this place in downtown San Francisco that does indoor ski lessons. Uh, I've done a couple of them. They're pretty expensive. My friends who ski think it is crazy and a splurge because they don't believe it's going to work. You can find videos on YouTube if you want to see what this is about, but I am committed. I think this is the path to ski success for me. All right. I love it. it, it honestly, it, it reminds me, I remember skiing for the first time as a kid and then coming home and that next summer I got into rollerblading. This is back during like the roller hockey craze in the mid to late 90s. Oh, yeah. But I felt like the next time I went back to the mountain, I felt like I was so good because just like that parallel turning and I don't know, all, all that to say, I don't know, maybe uh, some inline skates could do you some good yeah. too. Really. <laughs> My 10-year-old daughter does that, so maybe I should take uh, a lesson off from her. All right. Plus, you get that quality time with her as yeah, well. Yeah, a little both end. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that, Ellie. Well, let's talk about GiveWell before we kind of broaden the, the scope of the conversation out to effective altruism. Like, it, it seems that, like, the best things are invented out of either a personal need or a pain point that you might be experiencing. That's actually your story with founding GiveWell. Can you can you share that story with our listeners? Yeah, right out of college, I went to work at a hedge fund. And after being there for a few years, I was doing all the basic things that I needed to with my funds, uh, saving a little bit, uh, putting money away for retirement, but still had a little bit extra. And a few friends and I wanted to give money to charity. And, and just to give some context on, on giving charitably, if you take home $30,000 after tax, you're in the top 5% of the global income distribution. Wow. You know, we often think about the US or UK high income countries, but if you're at that $30,000 level after tax, you're in the top 5%. If you're at the $60,000 post tax, you're in the top 1% globally. Wow. And so we wanted to give money away and help people who were less fortunate. At the time, we thought we would just go to Google, search for charity, and find great answers about which charities are doing the most per dollar donated. But it turned out it was really hard to get any information. There are websites that focus on how much a charity spends on overhead versus their program, uh, which doesn't really tell you anything about how effective Mm -hmm. the program is. So as an example, if you uh, spend all your money on programs and, and say you dig wells in Africa to provide clean water, but the wells don't work or they fall into disrepair. It doesn't matter that you spent 100% of the money on programs. That's it's right. not effective. It doesn't matter that you're, efi- matter that you're efficient at failing. You're, <laughs> you just, you're better at doing that, failing. Exactly. And so what we wanted to focus on was effectiveness. And what we found you know, way back when, when we were just trying to give some money away on our own was that this information wasn't out there. And so after struggling to find the information for a while, then becoming obsessed with trying to find this information. I remember uh, getting in trouble at work because Holden Karnofsky, who's my co-founder and I, would spend way too much time at the office arguing about charity. And people were like, <laughs> why are you doing this? We have a job to do. Uh, but eventually we decided to, to leave our jobs to try to create the information resource that we wanted, which is GiveWell. And it we do research on, on charities. We focus on charities in low-income countries, so places like Sub-Saharan Africa, We put that research on our website. We have recommendations on our website. And the idea is to 
be the information resource that we were looking for when we were trying to give to charity so many years ago. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's awesome. I love what you've been able to create and specifically out of like not being able to find that resource. Um, it, but there are obviously like tons of different approaches to giving, right? Like giving to organizations in your neighborhood or, or even my least favorite g- giving when you're prompted to at the grocery store. That is something that happens sometimes <laughs> too, right? So why, why in your book, why is helping people the most per dollar donated? Why is that the gold standard of giving in your book? So I, I think like anything, we want to get the best deal with the money that we're spending. And when I step back and say, what do I most want to accomplish with my charitable giving? It's helping others to the greatest extent possible. And that was our our North Star. And the decisions that we've made along the way that have created the GiveWell that exists today, which is focused on organizations in, in poorer countries, has all been devoted to that idea of... Uh, let's try to help other people as much as we possibly can. Let's talk about giving overseas. You mentioned Sub-Saharan Africa. That's a big part of how you do that, right? So you you mentioned how if you make 60K, you're in the top 1% worldwide. So maybe giving in America, you're just not... I mean, you don't give to any any organizations in America, right? Because the problems overseas are vastly bigger than what we're experiencing here? Yeah, that's exactly right. When when Actually, when GiveWell got started, and this is back in 2007... We were looking both at organizations locally. Uh, We were in New York City at the time, so we're looking at New York City-based organizations and then also organizations overseas. And one of the things that we learned, we did not know before we went in, maybe we should have, but one of the things we learned was that the needs are so great overseas that a dollar can go so much further. And just to give one statistic that might help people get in touch with this, uh, one one of the types of programs that we support are programs that reduce mortality among children over five. Uh, sorry, under five. If you're born in the a high-income country, uh, you have, children born in a high-income country have a very high chance of reaching their fifth birthday. So it's very tragic when a child doesn't reach their fifth birthday. That only happens one in 200 births. In low-income countries, 13 out of 200 children who are born don't make it to their fifth birthday. So more than 10 times as many children die before they reach that young age. And these are from causes like malaria, diarrhea, pneumonia. They are preventable. We know because we do prevent them in high income countries. And those opportunities, in our view, to avert deaths for roughly $5,000 is a deal, you know, quote unquote, a deal that one you can achieve if you donate overseas and you can't achieve that sort of impact donating at home that's right well yeah again going back to getting the most bang for your buck with the money given and so as you are evaluating different charities i mean this is what y'all do over there at give well but what specifically are you looking for are you looking to those those high mortality diseases like you mentioned pneumonia you mentioned malaria like basically how do you decide which charities actually make the cut yeah i i think the big question that we're always trying to answer and grapple with is how do you really know what's happening 10,000 miles away? How do you really know that the money you're giving is making a difference, is making a big difference? And so there's two ways that we really get at that question. The first is there's been a ton of research done on what programs work to save or improve lives. Some of these are, uh, the types of diseases that you mentioned. Others are programs that aim to increase people's incomes so they can buy more of the things that they need. 
there's a huge amount of effort that's gone into this in the academic community from institutions like the World Bank. The first thing we do is rely on that research to help guide us towards the programs that are most effective. And then separately, we're asking the charitable organizations that we're considering to direct money to, and we ask them, what, what data do you collect? How do you know that when you say, deliver a malaria net, or you d distribute a cash transfer, that it reaches the person who needs it, that they're using it in the way that you intend, that they're able to do more than they otherwise would because they got it. And we use those two pieces of data. Uh, on one hand, that independent academic research, that's just uh, you know a big body of information that's been created over time by many people. And then the organization-specific data about their own programming. And we really home in on both of those. We also put a lot of attention on uh, what we call room for more funding, which means asking the organization how they will use additional funds and then checking back after the fact to see how they did. And when we put all that together, we're able to identify opportunities that are outstanding and enable donors to just have a huge impact with the dollars they give. Yeah, so I guess there's a difference between dropping off mosquito nets at the uh, end uh, at a village, like a big box of 100 of them or something, versus ensuring that those actually get used right in a specific location. So how are you vetting those things? Like you just asking the charities, like uh, relying on their word that they've actually done the thing? Is it like picture documented proof? How does that work? Yeah, so there's a lot of different things that happen in each case, but it's a combination of uh, understanding how they collect data to ensure that the say the mosquito nets or whatever the program is, are getting delivered as needed. And that can include independent evaluators going back and checking, includes photo documentation. Uh, you know, we keep aiming to increase and improve the, the quality of, of that follow-up. So, you know, if it's possible to do a, you know, a GPS connected monitoring of something that's distributed to know that the person who actually distributed is where you think they were at the time. You know, all of that is is one big piece of it. And then on the side, we've also over time done, uh, you know, gone ourselves and seen the programs on the ground where we get to uh, talk to staff, uh, talk and see the people who are receiving the program to ask them their experience with it. Uh, actually, many years ago, we did this once. We sent a journalist out to literally try to dig up dirt on the programs that we had recommended <laughs> Because we were like, I, I, you know, let, let's just do whatever we can because we really want to, we know that these programs are happening so far away and we feel like it's our, our job and our commitment to donors sure. that we're putting in a huge amount of effort to try and find, uh, you know, where the programs are working, but also where, where things might be going wrong. Like we want to know if that's happening so we can, we can address it. How big of a problem is that in the charitable space, in the nonprofit space? Like how big of a problem is it that people are donating money thinking it's going to something and ultimately, a lot of those dollars aren't reaching their intended purpose or, or they're just ineffective programs. Yeah, they're ineffective. Or like you said, maybe the well doesn't work or whatever, like the, where it sounds so good. And there's this awesome promotional video. There's killer marketing. But then on the back end, um, like there's inferior results. So I think the truth is, is it's incredibly common that we don't know. And that's that's the big problem, meaning people put money in. And it's, it's basically impossible to know in most cases what it's actually doing. You know, back to my story, when I was uh, still working in the private sector, I wanted to give to water charities. And I remember calling up water charities and they said, $20 provides a child water for life. And I said, well, amazing. That sounds great. Uh, how do you know that? And what does that mean? <laughs> and they didn't have answers to those questions. And so that, mm. that lack of information is what's common. 
I, I think like, l let me just tell one quick story because I think it illustrates the way that this often works. Uh, there was an organization called Play Pumps that started about 15 years ago. And it, it was this, this, this program that put in a merry-go-round that doubled as a water pump. And the idea was you install this merry-go-round, kids play on it. As they go playing on the merry-go-round, it's pumping water into this water tower. Interesting. And it all, it all seemed really great, yeah. right? Um, you, you get this like double benefit. People just have water access. Before the play pump, they had to like go to this uh, small hand pump and spend 30 seconds pumping up, you know, pumping the water to fill the bucket. Now it's just available, turning the spigot. And so this was like a great, it, it won all these awards from like it won a World Bank Development Award, was was sort of celebrated in the international aid space. Um, but after it had been implemented in about a thousand locations, a couple of guys just were walking around in Malawi where, where they were, and they noticed that kids weren't playing on the play pumps. Instead, women in the communities, and it is often women in these communities who have to collect the water, were walking pushing this giant merry-go-round in order to pump water. And, and the guys oh, asked them, like, what's happening? And they said, well, kids don't play on these things as often as they would need to. And so now we need to push this play pump in order to fill our water buckets. Hmm. It turned out that the organization had ripped out the hand pumps to put in these play pumps. And so you couldn't even get the the old, you know, hand pump way of filling your bucket. Wow. You had to do this crazy play pump thing. There's a great video on YouTube where one of these guys in Malawi actually tests how long it takes to fill a bucket with a play pump versus a hand pump. When he does the play pump, it he's like going around and around in circles. It takes him two and a half minutes. Uh, at the end, he's totally wiped out, breathing heavily, so sweaty. And then he compares it to the hand pump, you know, 28 seconds later, yeah. it's filled up and he has clean water. Oh and God. this is just an example. This is the exception, this story. And it's the exception because we know it failed. Mm -hmm. The much more common dynamic is we have no idea. And, and that's one of the places that we feel we're able to really fill a major need in the sector. You know, we're, we are not evaluating everything, but we're able to find programs that we believe have a huge impact and then we follow them up rigorously. And so we feel very confident that they represent amazing opportunities for donors to have impact because of that work up front, but also the follow on after the fact to assess how well they're working. Yeah, yeah, you're doing great research. Essentially, you are auditing and, and vetting these charities to make sure that they make sense for for folks like us to give to. So we're talking about, you know, funding charity specific charities. How is GiveWell funded? How are y'all funded? Because I, I think I saw on your site that it says you're not taking a cut or a fee of the funds that get donated via GiveWell. Is that right? That's right. We're a nonprofit ourselves and we're supported by donors. And the donors who support us want to support us because they value the fact that we're putting this information out there in public. And, you know, their philosophy is that their donations to us are are highly leveraged in the sense that by giving GiveWell you know, roughly, let's say uh, $5 to do the work we're doing, we're able to help $100 be directed more effectively. Uh, you know, that enables us to not charge a fee. There's no paywall. You know, if, if you went to our website, you could read all our research, give wherever you want. You never have to tell us about it. And we think that's the best way to get information out there because I think appropriately people, 
can be skeptical when they see someone in the charity world asking for money. And so we're very happy that we're able to just go to the world and say, hey, this research is free. You want to use it? Go for it. You don't have to give us anything because that's taken care of by people who really support our mission. Okay. And what charities have made the cut, the give well cut? Because I think currently you guys are working alongside four charities. So it's not like you're spreading this money across hundreds or dozens even of different charities. How does a charity rise? And, and can you tell us maybe about some of the charities that you're currently partnered with? Yeah. So there's two types of organizations that we direct money to. There are what we call top charities, and there are four of those, and I'll tell you about those. And then there are also organizations that haven't met that bar yet, but we think are really promising, but really pretty risky. And we also direct money to them, but it's not where we recommend most owners give because they're riskier. And we think, I don't know, new, new folks should give to the more straightforward options. The top charities are sort of like the, the investing analogy might be the blue chip organizations. They're the ones that have a strong track record, strong track record, really strong evidence. And in some sense, they're the, the organizations in which you can have the most confidence. Uh, so there are four of them. Two work on malaria. One is called the Against Malaria Foundation. One is called Malaria Consortium. The Against Malaria Foundation distributes malaria nets that people put up over their beds at night to prevent mosquitoes from biting them, uh, preventing the transmission of malaria. Malaria Consortium distributes preventative malaria medication to children under five to reduce the likelihood of getting malaria. Malaria is something that gets a lot of global attention, but it's still the case that about 1,500 children die every day of malaria. So there is still just a huge need for additional funding in that disease. Um, we have two more. I'll just say what they are very quickly. One is Helen Keller International's Vitamin A Supplementation Program. We talk a lot about vitamin A or sorry, vitamin supplementation or vitamin need in high income countries. But in a place like Africa, it's a whole different situation where people have severe vitamin A deficiency and a series of randomized controlled trials show that having vitamin A supplementation from the age of six months to five years reduces mortality in that crucial age range by a significant amount. And again, this is this is sort of a theme, this under five mortality where people are dying from preventable diseases is one of the places where we often find the, the biggest bang for the donor dollar. And then finally, we uh, our final top charity is an organization called New Incentives. They work in an area of Northern Nigeria where immunization rates for children are very low and they offer very small cash incentives to encourage caregivers to bring their children to those routine immunization visits that kids go through in their first year and a half of life. And these incentives are small. They're intended to cover the travel costs, the time costs of getting to clinics that can often be far away. We also have seen that program be evaluated in a randomized controlled trial. And there, they increased the proportion of children who were getting all their routine immunizations from about 60%, meaning three in five, to about 80%, four in five. So it had a really big impact on the number of children who were getting routine immunizations. This then leads them to be less susceptible to vaccine-preventable diseases. And we think, again, averts a death of a young child for about four to $5,000. So represents a really great deal for donors and an opportunity for I mean, almost anyone to have a really big impact on the world by giving to organizations like this. That's incredible. I had no idea that vitamin A deficiencies were had, had such a big impact on the, the life outcomes in, in poorer countries. So thank you for sharing, sharing all of those. And it, it truly is amazing that y'all have narrowed it down to those four 
because uh, truly they do have the biggest impact. But uh, we've got more questions for you, Ellie. Uh, specifically, we want to talk, I guess, more on an individual level, how it is that we can make the most impact when it comes to the money that we give. We'll get to all of that right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back from the break. Still talking with Ellie Hassenfeld about effective altruism and giving well. And let's specifically talk about effective altruism. That is kind of the heart behind give well in so many ways. It's about getting the most bang for your buck, like uh, Matt, like you said in the intro, and like Ellie was just talking about with how effective some of these nonprofits that give well partners with actually are. And Ellie, I'm curious, like uh, to me, the big, the, the face of effective altruism, at least for a hot minute, was Sam Bankman-Fried, right? And then he had this precipitous fall from grace. Do, do you think that that effective altruism sort of mentality and approach to giving has taken a hit because Sam Bankman-Fried took a hit? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the approach, which I would describe as using 
reason and evidence to try to determine where to give, uh, maybe also uh, what kind of career to work in is, uh, I don't know, I think at a high level like that, those values are are great. <laughs> They're values that also animate give well in the work that we do. And I think it's too bad that, uh, I guess, effective altruism, the brand took a bit, big hit because of its association with Sam Bankman fried I, I think that, you know, I I don't think as far as I can see that, that the the values, you know, the value of trying to identify great places to give, being thoughtful, being deliberate, uh, you know, the work that we do, you know, we, we feel we feel good about how we've come through that. And, you know, we, we think those values like hold strong and, and yeah. uh, you know, plan to just, you know, continue on doing what we're doing to try and uh, promote those values because we think they're, they're really valuable. That makes sense. Okay, so I guess while we're kind of talking about this, there's another giving method that Silicon Valley seems to favor right now, and that's thinking of of business as a stand-in for altruism, you know, that they can ultimately do more good, not by actually donating their money, but by building. Uh, what do you think of that premise? And I guess that also makes me think of just some of the different organizations out there, too, that are providing charity and altruism by consumption, right? So you got it on one end, you've got businesses that are building. On the other end, you have consumers who are buying goods. And whether it's the buy a pair, give a pair, but they're kind of conflating the two. I would love to hear, I guess, your thoughts on either one of those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so first off, I mean, I think it's clear that business itself has done a huge amount of good for the world. And, you know, so, some bad too, but but so much of the the good things that we have that exist are a function of people acting in their own self-interest. You know, charity is not the only way to do good things in the world. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of examples of that, but just a very small one is I'm really happy that Google search exists because that is an amazing service to me and the whole world in accessing information that has a huge positive impact that comes straight out of, you know, people acting in their own personal self-interest. And that is great. Mm -hmm. um, I think I get a little worried and have had like less positive experiences with, I guess what I would call organizations that are really trying to focus on a double bottom line where you know, on one hand, they're saying we are for profit and we want to make money. And then on the other hand, we're acting in the social good. And the, and the reason it's been tough for us to look at and, and, and to really evaluate historically is anytime you have these two separate goals, it's easy to play them off against one another. So you might say, well, uh, we might say to them, hey, like we want to see better data on your social impact. Uh, but they say, you know, we don't have that data, but we're for profit. So we don't really need to have such good data. And then on the other hand, maybe they say to their investors, hey, investors, like we're going to get you a lower return, but don't worry, we have high social impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it, it, it has felt often like the ability to sort of promote each goal independently has uh, at least on the uh, certainly on the social impact side, not measured up for us in, in seeing that that social impact is coming through in the way it is. Uh, and then I, I do think that often the uh, when when companies run campaigns to you know buy one give one or uh, you know some marketing campaign of a match, I mean I normally think about that as just a marketing campaign, and uh, you know they're, they're they're doing that because it will help ultimately like bring in more dollars. And, and I, I don't know if this is true in every single case, but I would certainly guess in the vast majority of cases. You know, ultimately, it's a it's a marketing decision more than anything else, and so I think the the push I would make to listeners on this point is 
all of this other stuff is great. You know, don't, 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 you know, business can be good too. And, and if you find good oper- a product you want and they're going to buy one and give one, well, why not? But I think it's important to set aside some part of your budget to just intentionally give to help people as much as possible and really target that at the opportunities that will help people a lot completely altruistically. I think there are huge opportunities there. And so I think all the other stuff is true. And there's this opportunity to accomplish a lot of good with charity that's worth doing as well. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I think it's like, yeah, build the business and <laughs> then give money away. Uh, hopefully you're yeah, providing jobs, you're you're earning an income, and then also you have money to give away to charities that matter. So I guess um, it, it's obviously different in every individual's case, but do you have any sort of like rule of thumb for how much you think individuals should aim to give away? I mean, there's the 10% religious principle uh, of tithing. But what do you think? Like, especially since like you started out the gates with, we live in the richest country in the history of humanity. And there are people in other parts of the world in extreme poverty. How, how should we think about our lot in life and then how much we should be giving away? Yeah. So I think you hit it spot on. Everyone is in a totally different situation. You know, people have different levels of debt, different levels of you know need for retirement saving, etc. And so it's hard to have a, a clean rule. Uh, you know, my family, we, we give 10% and we give 10% uh, not actually religiously specifically, but just because it is a big number for us. It feels like we're making a big commitment. And we know at the end of the day, 10% of our income is something that we can afford, especially relative to other people in the world. Um, I've not always given 10%. Another way that I used to think about it in the past, it wasn't numerical. I just said, what's the biggest personal purchase I made in the last year for myself? I should be willing to give that amount to help people around the world. And Hmm. there I was intending to give an amount that just felt big. And I know that's really qualitative, but it got me in the mindset of this charitable giving is a big thing that I'm trying to do because I know it will have a big impact on people around the world. It's not just something that I do on the side. And so trying to think about it as a big purchase was, I think, got me in the right mindset. And I think the biggest advice I'd give on this is finally, like, don't sweat it too, too much. We're coming up to the end of the year. It's the end of the 2023 tax year. And something that I've done myself and seen from so many donors over the years is it's really helpful if you're not giving to get off the sidelines and give something. And then a year from now, you can ask yourself again, how did it feel to give that? And what I hear over and over again is people are surprised by how fulfilled and how excited they are about the giving they've done. And often that causes them to give more. And so I think there's, I think the the, the biggest piece of advice I'd give is don't wait until you have the perfect answer. (laughs) Just try to give something proactively and intentionally. And then you can always revisit it in the future. That's right. I love that. Okay, so you kind of mentioned the end of the year, the the holiday giving season. Why is it that there is so much focus? I mean, granted, we're, we're a little guilty of this <laughs> as well with it being right at Thanksgiving, but is it just because we are coming up at, at, uh, towards the end of the year and it's uh, sort of the, the last opportunity to give to some of these different organizations? Yeah, it must be some combination of it's the holiday season and so people are getting in the mindset of giving and helping others. Okay. And then also the... The tax year, you know, makes a big difference. You know, I know sure. that I always want to make sure to get my donation in for the tax year to make sure that I can deduct it on my taxes. And so uh, that plays a role, too. It's actually interesting. We see a huge increase 
in donations via credit card on our website in literally the last 72 hours of the year. Hmm. And it's amazing. And, and so it's amazing how many people are just trying to get it in before the calendar year switches or, you know, we'll get checks that are dated December 31st when <laughs> yeah. they come in the mail and they come in the mail. After. As long as they're like dated by December 31st, they work. But, you know, that's the thing that, that we see so much of. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting too, because depending on how much you earn and how much, the way your taxes are evolving, you might not even get a tax break from giving, but that doesn't necessarily need to be the reason for doing it either. But, um, I, okay, I, question for you. You you mentioned how difficult it was for you to figure out which charities were doing, having the most impact. And let's say someone's listening and they say, man, I love what GiveWell is doing. That's so cool. But I also feel compelled to give to charities that are close to home, right? There's a charity that mentors high school kids in underprivileged uh, situations in my neighborhood or something like that. And I really feel strongly about that. How would you tell those folks to think about and to maybe vet nonprofits that are doing good work in their neighborhood or or you know in their municipality like how how would you how would you say oh yeah look through these this this and this to see whether or not that organization's worth giving to yeah so the first thing is just by being proactive in that way by saying i'm interested in this cause i want to help organizations doing this type of mentoring in my local community i'm going to go after that proactively already puts you or puts the donor in a much better place than the vast majority of people who are responding to solicitations in the mail or from friends or at the grocery store. And that is a great place to start. And that is literally my first piece of advice is be proactive. Uh, you know, after that, I'll be honest, I think it's I think it's real hard. We have a post that we wrote a while ago that are that's called Six Tips for Giving Like a Pro. And it kind of goes through some high-level questions that we suggest people ask. Our number one tip is be proactive. Uh, but after that, we say, ask organizations to make the case that their programs are effective. You know, just ask them some questions like, is the what impact do you imagine the mentoring having? How do they know it's having that impact? Ask them how they'd use some more money. Uh, we encourage people when they give money to organizations to give those organizations flexibility to spend on the thing that they most want. I, I think it's easy as a donor sometime to wanna see your dollars being used for a very specific thing, but that can tie the hands of organizations in all sorts of ways that are hard to see. You know, Maybe the mentoring program just needs, uh, I don't know, new cords for their laptops to, you know, to plug them in. And that sounds really boring, but like they know better than you do yeah, <laughs> what they really yeah. need. So we encourage that flexibility. And then finally, we just think it's a good idea to check back a year later. You know, Don't just assume that, because you gave, it'll all work out. I think the, the way this process is most effective is when people are proactive, then they make, they, they do a little bit of research and they give. And then finally, at the end of the day, they come back and they try to learn. And that circling back is going to enable everyone to give more effectively over the long run, which is really the goal. I love that. Okay. Ellie, I want to ask you a personal question because you're, you're Mr. <laughs> you're Mr. Givewell. How do you personally strike that balance between giving locally then versus giving in a way that you know is going to save the most lives because I, I find that to be a very tough conundrum to find yourself in right like on one hand you know that this this amount of money whether it's four or five thousand dollars that that could save a life but on the other hand you're also looking to maybe some of the needs there in your own community how do you strike that balance yeah so this is how you know I, I've thought about it and I do I do give a fair amount locally um, I my kids just go to local public schools uh, during COVID, uh, you know, gave within my community to, to help people out. And 
The way I think about it is bucketing charitable giving into different categories. One category is support the community and the institutions that I'm a part of. And I want to do that. I want to be a good community member yeah. and a good citizen. Absolutely. And I give there because of that reason. And then separately, I have a bucket that says, I, I don't know how to put this, as a human being in the world, I want to help other people around the world as much as possible. And sometimes it's hard to relate to people who are so far away the same way that we relate to the people who are down the block. But, you know, I've had, I've been very privileged. I've had the opportunity to, uh, you know, meet people in Western Kenya and talk to them and, and just understand how they're seeing their lives in India, other places around the world. And when, when I imagine them, you know, it really, it motivates me to say, of course, like the, I don't, this is obvious, but they're people just like us. They just happen to live in this incredibly poor part of the world. And so I also have this bucket where, and, and it's for me, it's the vast, vast, vast majority of, of what I give is going to places where I think it'll help as much as possible. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that you're doing both ends. And yeah, what was it that Warren Buffett says? You, you won the genetic lottery by being born in the United States. Mm -hmm. And there's oh. a, a certain amount of realization of that and and kind of connecting the dots from ourselves to our brothers and sisters who live in other parts of the world that we've never met and saying they need help too um all right hey ellie we've got just a few more questions to get to with you and specifically you want to talk about like donor advice funds and if you think those are a good option for people to save on taxes and a way to give effectively we'll get to a couple more with you right after this Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. 
Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. We are back. We're talking effective altruism with Ellie Hassenfeld and... Ellie, you know, so just before the break, we touched on taxes and because of the standard deduction for a lot of folks, they're actually not getting much of a, a tax benefit. And so there's no really real actual benefit there. So I just I guess I want to ask this question as to how it is that we are thinking about our giving. So like aside from the taxes part. Right. And even aside from the good that we're able to do, whether we're talking locally or on the other side, other side of the world, like there seems to be a like an internal change that occurs when we are, are charitable. Uh, when I give, it's more informed by my faith, but it has a lot to do with acknowledging, I guess, the, the fact that what I have, my wealth, my income is not necessarily my own. Do you think that there is an internal change that happens to folks regardless of their faith? when they're uh, giving their money away? I just think it's really important to remember how fortunate we are for being born where and when we were. And uh, if I had been born in Western Kenya instead of the Boston area in the 1980s, my life would have taken a very different trajectory. And that, uh, like you said, is just a total luck of the draw. And so on some level, I feel like it's, my responsibility and, and and my duty to try and help others. And yeah, I, I think that uh, when, honestly, when I, when I watch the news and I think about all the stuff that's going wrong in the world and how little I can do to solve it, it makes me feel a lot better to know that I'm able to send some money to organizations that are doing the work that is just reducing suffering and saving lives and does, you know, I, I think on some level change how I relate to what's happening in the world because I know I'm taking action to make it a better place. Yeah. And I think we're so, it's so easy to become self-obsessed in kind of the modern era, uh, the social media era. And I, I say that in myself, right? And I think the more we give, the more we serve, the more we take the spotlight off ourselves. And I think that's so healthy in so many ways, right? Um, okay, I want to know your, your thoughts on donor advice funds, because I think I think they're cool. And they're a way to maybe grow your money for to be able to give more effectively in the future. And it's a way to not like say, uh, to, you can't re, like renege on that, right? You can't like take that money back and then spend it on yourself. So what's your take on donor advised funds? And I feel like they've gotten more accessible, cheaper for individuals. Daffy is one of the coolest organizations in this space. Like, what do you think about going that route in an effort to kind of grow that nest egg so you can give bigger chunks down the road? Yeah, so I, I mean, I can't give like formal tax or financial advice, but I think donor advised funds are very helpful to people in, in the following way. I, I think they do two things that can be real helpful. Number one, they can enable you to give and if you are going to itemize on your taxes, get that right off. And if you're not, to commit those funds to charity so you know you have to give it and you can't just save it for yourself forever. And then the second thing they can do is they can often make it much easier to give uh, a non-cash donation. So mm -hmm. uh, when I give, I give appreciated securities. And the reason I give appreciated securities is, uh, you know, I, I give the securities that I've appreciated the most. I get the tax deduction on one hand, and then also uh, 
reset the basis essentially on the money that I would I would put in behind it. And so I'm getting rid of the the uh, basically avoiding the capital gains tax in a sense on giving those appreciated securities away. And donor advised funds can also make that a lot easier to pull off because they're set up to take assets of all kinds. Uh, but I should say, you, know, you should ask a personal advi- financial advisor before <laughs> taking anything what I send at face value. Appreciate that disclaimer there, Ellie. <laughs> okay, uh, one last question for you. You literally have a tab at the top of the GiveWell site that says, Our Mistakes, which is, it's pretty bold to, to air that dirty laundry there. Why is being transparent like that and being forthcoming about these past failures so important to you and what it is y'all do? Yeah, it's just really core to who we are as an organization. We're an organization that is constantly learning. You know, I think I think a lot of folks want to be out there uh trying to claim they're good at what they do before they really got there. And we just want to be very transparent that like everyone, we make mistakes, we screw up, and then we are committed to learning from them. And I think having this tab up there helps, uh, most importantly, I'd say our our staff know that at, at GiveWell, we're a place that doesn't try to hide mistakes. Instead, we just try to learn from them. And to be honest, I think this is something that should be much more common in the nonprofit world because in the for-profit world, companies are competing against each other and you don't want to display any weakness because you might lose out. You know, if you're Coke, you don't want to lose out to Pepsi. In the nonprofit world, we are literally all on the same team. Like we're just trying to make the world better. And the in general, we try to share as much as we can. I mean, it's it's true about our mistakes. It's also true about the underlying information that goes into our research and recommendations. It is all up there on our website. We do that so people know what they're getting. They can determine what they think about us. But also, we just want to put all that information out there because if it can help anyone else do a better job, then that's great because we're all working at a high level towards the same goal, which is making the world a better place. Yeah, and if you can see your screw-ups in real time and then you can adapt, like you're going to be more effective as you move into the future. And so I think like if it wasn't for your willingness to to look at those past mistakes, my guess is GiveWell wouldn't be as effective as it is today. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, just as one concrete example, if you look back at the recommendations we made when we first launched in 2007, we recommended four organizations we don't recommend any of those organizations today. You know, we, we, we've moved on. We've yeah. learned. And of course, we didn't do as well. You know, back in December 2007, uh, we were two people who had worked at GiveWell for four months. So we weren't going to make some great recommendations. Now we're a much larger team. We've been at this for much longer. And uh, throughout our entire history, we, we just are committed to learning about how to do things better. We've done that for many for a long time. I hope we keep doing it for a long time. And I think it's it's something that I wish was, uh, I don't know, prevalent across the entire sector because it, it seems like obviously the way to, to do it. I love it. Ellie, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you talking with us about effective altruism. Can you tell folks where it is that they can go to, A, if they want to give via your company, or B, at the very least, they can just learn about some of the awesome charities that are out there. Yeah, it's real easy. So it's givewell.org, www.givewell.org. And on our website, you'll find options to donate. You can click through and read more. And if you're not sure about what to focus on, you can sign up for our email list and get a monthly email of highlights from the work that we're doing. It's killer. Awesome. Ellie, thank you again so much, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. This was great. All right, Matt. 
Boy, that was a great combo. I just yeah, I, I really like Ellie. I I like cool his, dude, his great, vibe, great mission. Yeah. I appreciate the energy that he brings to giving. D- do you think he has to be energetic in order to like get folks to? <laughs> I think he just <laughs> to is. get folks to be excited about giving their money away. No, no. I I agree. I think, I think he's it, just pumped, and I think that, it helps with what he does. But I think this is like you said, naturally a part of who he is. When you care about something that deeply, um, it it resonates, and you can't kind of help but spreading the gospel of giving, right? Which is which is what he does well. Heck yeah. But what was your big takeaway from that? Conversation? Okay, well, mine is going to be, so when we're talking about giving locally to organizations that you care about that impact you personally, but then also your your direct community and finding that balance between that, which is not going to be an optimized form of giving and simultaneously holding that at the same time as you are trying to find ways to give in an ultra optimized, effective, altruistic way. Well, the fact is you can do both. And I love that that is what Ellie said. I think there could have been a a chance that he would have said, well, guys, you got to give the you got to be an effective altruist all the way through. (laughs) One hundred percent, because you know that every dollar that you're giving locally essentially isn't nearly as efficient as that money uh, going abroad, going overseas. Um, But I I, and I really like how he framed it, which is we are citizens. Essentially, this is how I interpret it. Um, But we're citizens of our local community, of our town, the city, our state wherever it is that we live but then simultaneously we're global citizens and the ability for us to make a massive impact in the lives of others other human beings who we literally share humanity with that we share this globe with i think that that can be a fantastic approach to have the both and approach which is i think yeah. how you mentioned it oh, i like it i like uh, the kind of almost like we do savings buckets do giving buckets and say there you go listen half my giving goes to the most in the op- most optimized way and the other half can go towards organizations that are local that i've been supporting for a long time i don't want to i don't want to rip all my funding out from those organizations that are near and dear to my heart where i can actually kind of see and participate in the good that's being done but yeah, yeah. you can do both because that's important as well yeah yeah all right, i think my big takeaway was when he said charity is not the only way to do good in this world and he talked about how, yes, yeah, starting a business is a great way to do good. I think another thing I would point people to is it doesn't just have to be money. It can be your time that's given to a, a local nonprofit or mm-hmm. to serve at your kid's school or something like that. I mean, there's all sorts of ways yeah. to get involved in your community that don't involve dollars. Um, and I, I, there's a lot of folks who may not have excess dollars this time of year, right. and they're trying to find ways. Well, guys, how the heck am I going to be an effective altruist? Well, yeah, like you said, there's a way you can do that in person. Yeah, and I think you also don't he's basically saying ellie said dip your toes in like give a little bit see how it feels and i think that's good too kind of like we talk about with investing it's like start with a little bit 20 bucks matters right and then you're an investor and 20 bucks matters here now you're a giver like now Mm -hmm. now you are a philanthropist and you can always grow that pie that you're giving away in the future but uh, i think just getting started is important too but totally uh, agree all right man let's get back to um, the beer that we had on this episode this is an all-around fantastic episode because we had a great conversation but we also had a fantastic beer yeah we did this one's called <laughs> called Chonkable uh, Hurricane. It's a smoothie sour by Other Half. What were your thoughts on this one? It's by Other Half. Uh, this is a collab as well. Over here it says it was brewed with their friends at Drecker Brewing Company, which evidently is out of Fargo, North Dakota. Oh. I've never been to Fargo. Seen the movie. Seen the movie. Okay. Have you seen the show? I ha- Oh, yeah. It's like three three seasons. Like little, I think I saw the first series. One or two. It's so, I mean, great. Story. All right. Movie versus the show, if you had to pick. <sighs> it's tough because I went into that show being like, yeah, right. No way. I mean, the movie's up. so good. But the show's really good, too. 
too. So seemed like it held up. Yeah, they're both great. Uh, okay, but the beer, dude, so good. It was incredibly thick. So off mic, uh, you said that man, this tastes like a mimosa, mm-hmm. and I I totally agree. Even it's, though it's trying to mimic a hurricane, uh, which is like the classic New Orleans cocktail. New Orleans drink, rum, orange juice, passion fruit, passion fruit, lime juice as well. So I don't think there's any lime flavors, but the orange flavors, the mandarin flavors in particular, totally come through. It's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's less bright and it's more of a fleshy orange kind of not only flavor, but also mouthfeel because there's yeah. a good amount of fruit sediment in this <laughs> in this beer as but well. But I will say it's not it's not too much. Sometimes when you get a smoothie sour, it's like there's like chunks and stuff in there. and That's kind of off-putting. No, this this has a did great... You pour, did you pour your entire can? No, I left a little bit in the bottom. I probably <laughs> Did you get some chunks? Well, I mean, I, I gave it a... Sw- once I got a quarter of the way down, I swirled it so yeah. I could get it all out. No, I left uh, like the last like... I don't know. I very eat, very small portion. I, I just nothing goes to waste over <laughs> here. Until I, I eat all my veggies and all my fruit. Well, <laughs> I thought this was delicious. I was surprised. I'm like other half. All I know them for is IPAs. It's nice to have a different style that they made, and this one mm-hmm. did not leave anything to be desired. That's right. So, and thank you to Jason for donating this one to the podcast. Thank you, of Jason. Course. Jason was being charitable in a oh completely different. You can. Uh, it's either money, your time. Or also beer. Or give the uh, gift of beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best craft beers in the world. Make sure to save a little room in your budget for that gift. <laughs> uh, but that's going to be it for this episode. We'll make sure to link to GiveWell uh, up on the show notes at howtomoney.com. We hope everyone has a fantastic Thanksgiving tomorrow that you are able to spend a lot of time with your family or with your friends if you do the uh, the Friendsgiving, if that's how you roll. But either way, hope you have a great one. Joel, that's going to be it, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.